This evening, Sunday nights through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we were in Joel and we made our way uh, all the way to chapter uh, 2, verse 27. And uh, just as a little bit of a a reminder, the theme of the book of Joel uh, is the day of the Lord. It's found five times within the book at very strategic places within the book. And the day of the Lord refers to that time in human history when following the rapture of the church, the Lord is going to bring judgment upon man's sin, judgment upon man's rebellion uh, against him. And, uh, and then having brought that to the end uh, in the uh, great tribulation period, he will uh, establish his kingdom, Jesus will, here on the earth. And uh, uh, through a, that, the final rebellion at the end of, of that age, that uh, thousand-year reign of Christ as it will occur, will come the white throne judgment. It'll be followed by the destruction of the present heavens and earth, followed by a new heavens and a new earth, and uh, to start eternity, so to speak, and God's reign then of uninterrupted righteousness uh, going forward. And so the day of the Lord includes the rapture of the church, or includes the great tribulation, the battle of Armageddon, the thousand-year reign of Christ, the great white throne judgment, Uh, during which uh, all unrighteousness is going to be uh, dealt with. And so uh, the day of the Lord in its uh, movement through history and in its end will be a wonderful, wonderful time for the righteous, and it'll be a terrifying day for the unrighteous. The pattern of the book is that uh, Joel prophesies on behalf of the Lord, and he uses current uh, uh, local situations that were occurring uh, in Judah, and uh, which would have a, 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 an immediate or a, a near uh, fulfillment. But within those prophecies, he uh, mentions the day of the Lord as an indication that these prophecies are also a type or a picture of this end time scenario that will come upon the world and will come upon uh, Judah during the Great Tribulation and the kingdom age. And uh, the book of Joel is, at least for me, I don't know what it's like for you, it is a, a very, very technical book in, in endeavoring to uh, uh, understand it. And so I do want to encourage any of you that uh, are new to the book or new to the Bible altogether, if you get lost anywhere in here, um, don't feel bad about it, and, and don't look and say, wow, if the whole book is like the book of Joel, I'll never understand uh, the Bible. It is a, it's, a, it's a prophetic book, and it's a technical book, and just understand what you can, and then the next time you read it or hear teaching on it, you'll understand a little more and so forth until it, it becomes a, a, a good friend uh, to us. Now, in chapter two, uh, two, Joel continues his prophecies, here on the day of the Lord, in chapter 1, verse 4, there was this plague of locusts that uh, is spoken of. Joel uh, speaks of it as a past plague that had come uh, upon uh, uh, Judah. And then in chapter 1, verse 15, the day of the Lord is described as being at hand. Uh, in other words, an even 
more fearsome judgment of God than these four uh, waves of locusts that came upon the land were going to come upon the land in the near future. And uh, in the fulfillment of that particular part of the prophecy uh, was fulfilled by the Assyrians when they invaded Judah from the north and of which the locusts were a type. And yet, uh, here as we come now to chapter uh, 2, verse 28, there's still yet a uh, future uh, from our particular day, the day that we're living right now, a, a future fulfillment of the day of the Lord. A, a future fulfillment of the day of the Lord that would occur after that Assyrian invasion of Judah and of which that Assyrian invasion was merely a type or a shadow. The reason we know that the day of the Lord in its fullness is yet a, uh, a future event or series of events in human history is because they're spoken of in the New Testament. Uh, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you might turn there and um, see it with your own eyes if you're inclined. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. You say, I wish I'd have brought my iPad. And Paul writes there in verse 1, <clears throat> excuse me, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, and, and here he's talking about the last days, and to us as Christians, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know that the day of the Lord, and here is this phrase, so comes as a thief in the night. And so Paul speaks of it as yet a future event. For we know uh, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that the day, uh, this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day, speaking of us as Christians. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, that is, His wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we uh, wake or sleep, we should live together with Him, therefore comfort one another and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Continue a little further uh, to the right in the New Testament, and we'll look at what Peter has to say about this by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter uh, chapter 3. I just want you to see the day of the Lord spoken of in the New Testament as a yet future uh, event. Second Peter chapter 3. And verse 7. But the heavens and the earth which now exist are kept in store by the same word, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of uh, unholy men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. 
The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then here it is. But the day of the Lord, speaking of a future event in human history, even still, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot, and uh, blameless. And so, we know that the day of the Lord uh, was not fulfilled uh, clearly by the Assyrian invasion of Judah in Old Testament history, but it has to be yet a future event because uh, it's spoken of uh, in, here in the New Testament in this way, and uh, it will be fulfilled in the Great Tribulation uh, as, as described in uh, Revelation chapter 6 through uh, 19. Now, uh, verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward, uh, Joel writes, that I will pour out my spirit, as he, he speaks on behalf of God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also on my men, men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit uh, in those uh, days. So uh, this is, is a familiar passage as Peter uh, speaks of it on the day of Pentecost. But again in verses 26 and 27, as he introduces this as, as a part of the prophecy, the uh, permanence of this restoration of, of the Jews' relationship with God. In, the, in those two verses, uh, God speaks of that, uh, the Jews' restoration of a relationship with Him. And in verse 26, the permanence of that rest, restoration is indicated by the word never, and, uh, and the people's uh, uh, apparently uh, permanent conversion, as it's spoken about in verse 27, uh, seems to suggest that this passage looks ahead to the time of Jesus' second coming and His uh, thousand-year reign. A uh, further indication that this full and permanent restoration of uh, the Jews' relationship with the Lord is yet future is found here in verse 28. After uh, this restoration at the time of Jesus' second coming, at the start of the kingdom age that's spoken about there in 26 and 27, God will pour out His Holy Spirit on the Jewish people as He describes it there in verse 28. Uh, there is no fulfillment of this prophecy in Israel's history. It is yet future. 
Again, we remember the familiarity with this passage because we remember that on the day of Pentecost that Peter stood up and he quoted this passage on that day when the church was birthed there in the city of Jerusalem. And he spoke of this as an explanation for the baptism with the Holy Spirit by the 120 that were sitting in that upper room and they received the baptism with the Holy Spirit just as Jesus had promised there in Acts chapter 1 and 2. It is very, very important to realize that the day of Pentecost was the start. It was the start of the fulfillment of this prophecy that is found in verses 28 and 29 of Joel uh, chapter 2 and that its complete fulfillment will occur at the uh, start of the thousand-year reign of Christ when everyone entering into the kingdom age, the thousand-year reign of Christ, will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Imagine living in a world in which every human being uh, doesn't just think they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Every human being is actually baptized with the Holy Spirit. And one day that's going to happen. That's going to mark the world uh, during the, the kingdom, and, uh, kingdom age and uh, those who become Christians during the Great Tribulation and then survive that devastation into the kingdom age. A reminder that for us as Christians, we're in a different category in terms of end times. We will not uh, enter into the kingdom age of the thousand-year reign of Christ to be ruled by Christ in terms of Him ruling over the uh, earth. We will rule with Him. Uh, we will be His servants uh, during, uh, during that time. We will have already received our uh, bodies that are made for eternity. No hope or possibility of falling or, or, or sinning as a result of uh, of being perfected in that way. And so, while the church age is the beginning of this outpouring that Joel talks about here, a work of the Holy Spirit is going to continue all the way through the, the seven-year tribulation uh, period as it's uh, uh, clearly uh, described, as we'll see in a moment, in verses 30 and 31, where uh, the uh, great tribulation is described, verse 30, and I will show wonders in the earth, uh, in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Uh, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood, and therefore the coming uh, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And so here we see the phrase, day uh, of the Lord again. So uh, this uh, work of the Holy Spirit that's spoken about in verse 28 and 29, it is going to continue. Uh, it, it will be uh, mark the great tribulation period and be evidenced in that, that period of judgment, principally in drawing people to call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. And the power, this power of the Holy Spirit that is ours as Christians uh, today, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, is going to mark those that serve the Lord during the tribulation period. And that won't be the church, but it will include the 144,000 that are spoken of in Revelation, 12,000 Jews from each of the 12 tribes 
uh, of, of Israel. They're going to be sealed as God's uh, servants during the tribulation period, protected from uh, the, uh, the, the judgments that will be going on uh, on the earth. They will be very much involved as uh, evangelists. Again, all of this described in Revelation uh, chapter 7 and 14. There will also be as a manifestation of this work of the Holy Spirit and the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 verses 28 and 29 will be the two witnesses that are spoken of in Revelation chapter 11 who will do miracles for God and will testify to God and testify in the city of Jerusalem to the fact that Jesus uh, is the Messiah. They will uh, witness to the entire world for three and a half uh, uh, years, and no one will be able to harm them until their testimony is over. We're told that uh, during that tribulation period that uh, angels will call upon uh, the world to repent and to, to believe the gospel and to trust in Jesus uh, for uh, salvation. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And then without a doubt, those people who come, become Christians following the rapture of the church and during the, the hardness of the tribulation period, they will doubtless share uh, the gospel. They will uh, share the truth about Jesus Christ until uh, uh, they are martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches us that a, a, a virtually uncountable number of people are going to turn to Jesus, recognize Him as the Messiah during that tribulation uh, period. And so many will be uh, calling for people to put their faith in Him during that seven-year uh, period. Some of those people will not be martyred for their faith. They will survive the horror of the great uh, tribulation, and then they'll enter into the thousand-year reign of Christ after His second coming. And so the ultimate or the, 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 the final kind of fulfillment of verses 28 and 29 will uh, take place during the kingdom age. At the time of Jesus' second coming, establishing His thousand-year reign in which everyone then is baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit in this, uh, this way. In verses 30 and 31 here, as we just read them, it describes some of the uh, cataclysmic events that will mark the tribulation period. It's language that is very, very familiar to us uh, from, uh, from the uh, book of, uh, of, uh, of Revelation, and it describes uh, the great tribulation, what the world will be like immediately before uh, Jesus' second coming. And and uh, the part that it plays in uh, the day of the Lord. And again, the book of Joel is kind of like a snapshot of prophecy. And um, one of the reasons that it can be hard to understand is because it's just a, like a little… We've got the book of Revelation. 
So in chapters 6 through 19, it is just spelled out to us in such incredible detail. We know what uh, the seals are, the bowls are, the vials. We understand the order. I mean, we've, we have, we're spoiled with the kind of revelation of these things that we have in the book of Revelation. And, uh, and the book of Joel in the Old Testament is like having a, a, you know, a little corner of the picture pulled off of the larger portrait and uh, given to the Jews for them uh, as a kind of a, um, a, a little bit of priming the pump until the book of Revelation would come in to human history and provide a, a, a greater uh, picture. And so we're, we're so thankful for the book of Revelation and putting the pieces together related to all of, all of uh, this. And verse 32, and it shall come to pass uh, during this time, during the great tribulation, with all of the preaching of the gospel, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For, uh, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remin- remnant whom the Lord calls. And so everyone during that, um, uh, that calls upon Jesus as the Messiah puts their trust in Him during the great tribulation and survive that tribulation uh, they will enter into the millennium with the Lord. Those that are martyred for their faith during the great tribulation period will receive their um, uh, eternal bodies made for uh, heaven. And then, uh, uh, and so this, uh, this, this great harvest that will take uh, place. And then in cha- chapter 3, uh, Jude continues, for behold, in those days and at that time, so there's a chapter break, but he's continuing here, uh, when I uh, bring back the captives of Judah and uh, Jerusalem. And so uh, in that day, in that time, it ties chapter 3 to chapter 2. It's a continuation here, and uh, he will ultimately, uh, Judah saying, God will ultimately and finally restore Israel uh, to the uh, land. For behold, in those days and at that time, I will bring the captives of Judah, uh, 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 back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. Now, he's taught, this is Jewish territory. This is Jewish ground. So remember when Jesus spoke in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, he gave the uh, signs, uh, the birth pangs that would precede um, uh, the rapture of the church and that would mark the early stages of the great tribulation. And as he's laying things out in Matthew chapter 24, uh, Jesus is speaking about the tribulation period. You remember he spoke about the abomination that causes desolation, that halfway through that seven-year tribulation period, uh, at the three-and-a-half-year mark, the Antichrist will enter into the holy, holy of holies of the temple that he allows the Jewish people to rebuild. He will sit down in the holy of holies. He will declare himself to be God and demand to be worshipped as God. And at that moment in time, uh, the Jews will realize they've been completely fooled by the Antichrist. And Jesus gives them the warning, when you see this, run for your life. Because the Antichrist will then pour out a great persecution 
against the Jewish people during that tribulation period. They will be scattered everywhere, out of the land, out of Jerusalem. They will run for their life. Fleeing will be so desperate, Jesus says, don't come back into your house. Uh, Not only not to pack luggage, don't go back for a coat. Get out of here because of what he's going to do. And so here is Joel saying that at the end of the tribulation period, the Jews have been scattered anywhere and everywhere that they will be brought back uh, into Judah and uh, into Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' second uh, uh, coming. And then in uh, verse 2, God begins to speak about His judgment of the Gentile nations for their treatment uh, historically of the Jewish people. And uh, the Lord says, I will also gather all nations, talking about the Gentiles, I will gather them to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and that uh, Jehoshaphat means uh, the Lord judges, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people. I will judge the Gentile nations for their treatment of my people, the Jewish people, my heritage, Israel, uh, uh, and, and that judgment will occur at, at that time. And so after Jesus' second coming, uh, it's here that the nations then will be brought together for judgment uh, based upon their treatment, historical treatment of the Jewish uh, people. Uh, this is so heavy, this judgment that's going to occur, because there has been no single group of people in human history who have been so persecuted by the Gentiles as uh, the Jewish people. I mean, no other group of people have even remotely approached the kind of persecution that has been meted out uh, against them. I mean, what a, what a warning this is against having uh, a, a, an, an anti-Semitic bone in my body. Not just as a Christian, we have a Jewish Messiah, by the way, but an anti-Semitic bone in my body, even if I wasn't saved, or to boycott Israel, or to do whatever kind of things and bring persecution upon, uh, upon uh, Israel. And, and here the world is going to be judged for their treatment uh, of the Jews. It certainly, um, uh, I certainly uh, would not want to be a part of the uh, Islamic religion and what it teaches about the destruction of the Jews and the persecution of the Jews and these kind of things. God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. You look throughout all of human history, every Gentile empire that rose up and mistreated the Jews, every one of them has gone into the dustbin of human history. Uh, the, 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 um, the British Empire, and their mistreatment of the Jews. There is no British Empire anymore. Uh, the, the, the Nazis attempted the Third Reich, and they, and they were going to have a thousand-year uh, reign that they were preparing themselves for, and they couldn't last eight years. You don't get to mess with the Jewish people, except God is watching that. And, and He's going to bring uh, the Gentile nations into judgment Uh, related to it. And all of this is going to be a fulfillment of what Jesus taught. I'll let you read it for yourself if you're inclined 
at the latter part of Jesus' Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 25, where he's speaking about the end times again, which is the uh, verses 31 to uh, 46. And, uh, and I'll just read a section of it to you so you'll know what passage I'm talking about. Jesus said in this parable, Then the king will say to those in his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared uh, for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, and th- or thirsty and give you drink? Or when did we see you a stranger and take you in? or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king representing God, and the king will answer and say to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to uh, me. And then he speaks in this judgment of the nations following Jesus' second coming, probably a part of the separation of Uh, the sheep and the goats going into the kingdom age, those that have died in faith related to, uh, uh, or they've survived the great tribulation period. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. They are the sheep, so to speak, in the the imagery. They will go in and uh, populate the earth and live on the earth uh, for that thousand-year reign. And then uh, those that did not trust in Christ, they, they will then uh, go into the waiting place, waiting for the white throne judgment. But there's a second group that Jesus speaks about in that, uh, in that parable, and they will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? And here he's condemning them for not... Uh, 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 helping uh, the Jewish people. And then he will answer them saying, Verily, verily, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, uh, uh, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into uh, everlasting life. And so there's this tremendous judgment of the Gentile Uh, nations. It is significant that our nation still stands by Israel and and has historically done so. Uh, It may be uh, one of the few reasons that God uh, still has for blessing us uh, as a nation. And then in uh, in the the latter part of verse 2, God begins to describe uh, their uh, treatment of his uh, of his heritage, my people, my heritage, Israel. He said, whom they have scattered among the nations, and how many times the Jews have been scattered in human history by uh, by Gentile uh, oppression. They have also speaking of the Gentile nations. They've divided up my land, and you notice God speaks of the land of Israel as His land. They've cast lots for my people. In other words, the Gentile nations selling historically the Jews uh, in, uh, as slaves. And uh, they've given a boy, a Jewish boy, uh, that they drew lots for, and the, the conquering of Jerusalem or the conquering of, of Israel. 
and then uh, they got so many boys and they got so many girls each and what they would do then is take a boy and uh, uh, make him the payment for a harlot I mean imagine that going someplace and all this human life uh, is worth to a person is to just simply sleep with a prostitute and then sold a girl for wine uh, that they may drink. Imagine uh, giving uh, the treatment of how uh, low you would think about a human being or think about a Jew or think about anyone of any nationality that you would give another human being as the price to uh, uh, pay for a drink. And yet, historically, this is the low, low view of the Gentile nations of the Jewish people. And God notices all of it. And then in verse 4, indeed what, have I, uh, to, uh, indeed, what have you to do with me, Side, uh, O Tyre and Sidon and the coasts of Philistia? So now he singles out Tyre, he singles out uh, Sidon, all of the coasts of Philistia for their uh, historical mistreatment. Uh, of the Jewish people. And the Phil, uh, Phoenicians and the Philistines, they were a continual form uh, in the flesh uh, of, of the nation of Israel, perennial uh, enemies. And God's going to let them know uh, that I noticed that you were among the worst. Indeed, what do I have to, uh, you have to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the coasts of Philistia? Will you retaliate against me? Uh, uh, if you, but if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own uh, head. In other words, God is promising what you did to the Jewish people. I will bring in absolute perfect judgment. I will bring it down uh, on on uh, uh, your heads. And and what. God is speaking about here is when you picked a fight with the Jews, you picked a fight with me. It's the same thing when uh, the world picks a fight with God's people, the body of Christ, uh, with Christians. It's the same thing. You pick a fight with me when you teach, uh, when you touch these uh, these people, and you treat them as if they had no God or no guardian uh, in in the world. And so He promised this. Uh, perfect uh, retaliation uh, uh, against them because there was no justification for their treatment of the Jewish people in this way. Now, are the Jewish people perfect? They are not perfect any more than uh, the Scots or the Irish are or wherever you might come from uh, in the world in terms of, of your um, heritage. But one of the things that's been characteristic uh, of the Jews uh, is you, you see them even today, is that you find them in the Middle East. They're not trying to pick a war with anybody. They're not the instigators of, of trouble with their neighbors. It is, uh, it is this, this zero justification for the persecution that was brought against them in the ancient world, zero uh, justification for their persecution even into uh, this, this uh, modern uh, modern day. And then concerning Tyre and Sidon, he, uh, he uh, begins to lay out their sins and the charges that he has against them, because you have taken my silver and my gold. Every time you looted uh, Israel, you took my silver, you took my gold. You didn't realize that 
but you poked me in the eye and, uh, and uh, carried uh, all of these things into your temples. You took my prized possessions, things that belong to me. Again, you've looked at the Jews as if they uh, still had no God, as if God did not have a, a, a plan yet for them in, in treating them in this way. And also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, you have sold to the Greeks that you may remove them far from their borders and talking about the, historically the enslavement of His people and, and the selling of them. And God so identifies with the Jewish people here uh, that uh, He takes the, the world's treatment of them, He takes that personally, again, just as He does with the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, we are not without our spots and without our wrinkles. Uh, but to touch Christians and persecute them for simply loving God and trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation, uh, th uh, that, uh, that is to persecute uh, Jesus Himself. As He said to uh, Paul when he was on the road to Damascus, uh, it is conversion. And Jesus said to Paul, Paul, uh, why persecutest thou me? Isn't it hard to kick against the goads? He says, who are you that I'm persecuting uh, you? And uh, here is Saul under the same kind of delusion here. Uh, I'm just persecuting Christians. I don't know who you are. You're not, I, I'm not taking you into any kind of consideration at all. And Jesus says, you should take me into consideration because to persecute uh, my people is to persecute um, uh, me. And so then uh, the Lord goes on to, to promise uh, the return of the Jewish people into the land. Behold, I will raise them up out of the place which you sold them to and return your retaliation upon uh, your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hands of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, uh, to a people uh, far off, for the Lord um, has uh, spoken. And then the Lord uh, calls on them uh, to prepare for war, in the, starting here in verse 9. And what we have here is a description of the battle of Armageddon. Again, greater clarity for us in the book of Revelation, but this is the clarity uh, that they had uh, in the Old Testament. Proclaim this among uh, the nations, God says. Uh, prepare for war. Wake up your mighty men, speaking of the, the Gentile nations and their uh, abuse of the Jewish people. Remember that the seven-year tribulation period is the time of Jacob's trouble. It has everything to do with Jews, nothing to do with the church. And, and, uh, and, and, and so here is this persecution of the Gentile world uh, in the person of the Antichrist and his armies out of what appears to be Europe and all. Uh, and that's another study somewhere down the line. And God says, all right, uh, you want to take on my people? You want to take on the people that I have plans for? Uh, you want to take me on? Then uh, uh, let's uh, do it. You want a piece of me? Come and get a piece of me. Prepare for war. Wake up your mighty men. Those that get your Navy SEAL teams and, and your Marines all together, whatever the equivalent are anywhere uh, in the world. Let all of the men of war 
draw near, all of your people that are trained for war, bring them on up to this battle. Uh, go and get the farmers and the ranchers too. Uh, don't send anyone out into this battle unarmed. Beat your plowshares uh, into swords with the farmers and uh, your pruning hooks into spears. Uh, make sure everyone is as, as well um, uh, equipped as they can in the battle of Armageddon, so to speak, and let the weak say, I am strong. Bringing out an army that is so great that even the person that's a coward will become brave in the midst of so great a multitude of Gentile uh, armies uh, gathered together, and even the weakest of people will say, I am strong. Uh, assemble and come all ye nations and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. And so, uh, since this would be a, uh, a battle or a war to the finish, the battle of Armageddon, uh, God says, make sure you mobilize your armies completely. Don't send half armies out there. Don't send parts of your armies um, out there, send them out there, and make sure they are fully uh, equipped for, uh, for uh, uh, war. And let the nations be wakened and come uh, up to the valley uh, of Jehoshaphat, uh, the valley of, uh, of, of God's judgment, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Uh, and, and here Jesus at His second coming, the imagery again in verse 13 from Revelation, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe, uh, come go down for the winepress is full, the vats overflow for their wickedness is great. And so the harvest of all of this mankind uh, gathered together th in three great armies in the valley of Megiddo to fight against uh, 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 against God. Jesus comes at His second coming, and it's not much of a battle. They are completely wiped out from the word of His mouth, and uh, we don't know what He says, but uh, it, uh, the armies are com uh, completely uh, destroyed, and uh, the blood being as great as as the grape juice would be in a scene in which the harvest, uh, uh, the grape harvest is being stomped uh, within, uh, within the vat. And then uh, uh, Joel says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And, and so the, uh, here they are gathered for war against God. The word decision uh, literally mean, is used in the sense of verdict or in the sense of judgment. They had come uh, to fight against God uh, when the wise decision would have been to surrender against God, and uh, there will always be a verdict, the verdict of judgment for anyone decides to uh, fight against God, and that valley would become that. And again, uh, referencing the supernatural, the cosmic kind of supernatural that will mark uh, the tribulation uh, period, the sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their uh, brightness. And the Lord also will roar from Zion, speaking of Jesus and His second coming. He is uh, the lion of the tribe 
uh, of Judah. Uh, the Lord will roar from Zion. Jerusalem will become the capital of, uh, that Jesus reigns from during the thousand-year reign of Christ and uh, utter His voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake. But the Lord will be a shelter for His people and the strength of uh, the children of Israel. And so there is this ultimate uh, restoration of the Jewish people. Jesus is going to reign from Jerusalem. He's going to make Jerusalem uh, and indeed the entire world, but certainly Jerusalem a place of refuge for uh, the Jewish people, a place of safety for the Jewish people. So, verse 17, you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. It belongs to Him, not even supremely to the Jewish people. And then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no aliens shall ever pass through uh, her again. And so as Jesus dwells there in Jerusalem during the kingdom age, uh, it will become a holy place. There will be no more persecution of the Jews, no more uh, invasions uh, of uh, of the land, and uh, and then in verse 18, it shall come to pass that uh, to pass in that day that the mountains will drip with new wine. Talking about uh, the agricultural plenty of the world, uh, the, the, and, and will mark the entire world, but certainly mark uh, Israel. Uh, during the kingdom uh, age, the hills shall flow with milk, speaking about uh, the, uh, the, the health of the livestock. The, uh, uh, to have milk in the ancient world was a luxury. Uh, and, and so he's talking about a, a, just a, a luxurious provision uh, for the basic needs of mankind. And in that kingdom age, all of the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. In other words, if you go to Israel today, you see all of these wadis, kind of like Southern California with those storm things that they've got. And um, I don't like talking about Southern California because I'm from Northern California. And we've got a little uh, persecution complex up here. But if you do go down to Southern California and you're driving through to Disneyland, the only reason for going to you wouldn't take in a Dodger game. <laughs> and you see these huge waterways and these bridges that are over them and they're just bone dry until those handful of times that the storms come in and then they're raging rivers. And so as Jesus is talking about the fact that those wadis that exist in the same way uh, in Israel, uh, they're only full for short periods of time uh, given the rain. They, uh, during the kingdom age, they will be flooded with water. There'll be a constant flow of water. And I don't need to tell uh, you as Californians how valuable water is and how important uh, water is. And then a fountain shall flow from uh, the house of the Lord and water uh, the uh, valley of uh, Acacias. And so as we uh, saw, I think it was in Ezekiel chapter 37, during the kingdom age there will be this great stream that will flow uh, from the area of the temple and, uh, and flow toward the Dead Sea, give it life. And so there will be this great flow of water uh, as well as it's uh, referenced elsewhere um, 
in the Scriptures. And then in verse 19, Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness. In other words, during the kingdom age, it isn't that Egypt and Edom will be an, an utter desolation during the time of the kingdom age, but comparatively speaking to the, the, the plenty that will be there in Jerusalem uh, and and, and uh, uh, it, it will be the case. And God uh, points out and, and speaks of uh, Egypt and speaks of Edom because, again, they were the perennial enemies of the Jewish people uh, throughout ancient history, certainly in the time of Joel, because of the violence uh, against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their land. And then here this, uh, this happy ending, but Judah shall abide forever, and uh, Jerusalem from generation to generation, for I will acquit them, uh, speaking, uh, I will acquit them of the blood of, uh, of the guilt of bloodshed whom I had not acquitted, for the Lord dwells in uh, Zion. And so, Judah, Jesus' second coming, uh, there will be a recognition by the Jewish people as a whole. They will recognize Him as their promised Messiah. They will put their faith in Him uh, as their, their uh, promised uh, uh, Messiah. And they will receive. Uh, they will. Uh, there'll be a national repentance of their of their sin, and they will uh, abide forever. And so, everything that uh, God promised the nation of Israel in the new covenant, it'll be fulfilled with their recognition of Jesus as their Messiah at the uh, at the time of His second coming, and then putting their trust uh, in Him. Uh, as, as Messiah and as Savior. In verse 21, when he says, and um, for I will acquit them of the blood of bloodshed whom I had not acquitted, for the Lord dwells in Zion. It, it can mean one of a couple different things that uh, the land of Egypt and Edom would be uh, a, uh, though it would be a comparative uh, desolation uh, the people now saved and in the kingdom age would uh, be acquitted of their sins and bloodshed against the Jewish people. Or uh, it could refer to, and, and I uh, lean in this direction, uh, to God's acquittal of the Jewish people for their sins of bloodshed, uh, uh, chief among them being uh, uh, the sin of the guilt of bloodshed in their rejection of Jesus, their part in the crucifixion uh, of their Messiah in human history, who they will come to recognize as their Messiah and make their Savior at, uh, at His second coming. And so, uh, there we finish uh, the book of Joel, and we'll head into Amos next week. It's always good to be reminded uh, that the Lord wins, and that human history is all under God's control. It is all marching toward His God-appointed end. You ever get aggravated by the news today when you watch it, what's happening in our nation? No, me either, but I'm on so many sedatives. <laughs> I don't care what the administration does. I'm just kidding. Of course it's aggravating because we see and we know that righteousness exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to any people. And we recognize that the people who have uh, their hands on uh, the, the reins of power 
uh, are, uh, these are wicked decisions, a lot of them that are being made, absolutely ungodly uh, decisions, and it's very hard for us to watch happen in our nation, a decline in our nation that doesn't need to occur, happen. And we feel powerless related to that. We all understand that. One of the things that I've been mulling around in my mind in the midst of all of this, uh, in addition to dashing off letters to my uh, uh, government representatives, and I'm just kidding, I did, get a, I did write a couple of them though, uh, about something that I don't understand that is happening uh, in desires of, of a reply. But I am asking the Lord, Lord, in this time in human history, I don't have the power to change what is happening. Maybe you will change it with uh, 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 new people, your people that you would put in these positions, or with a revival. But Lord, what about me as your child? Uh, because of the luxury, and it has been a blessing and a luxury to be a citizen of the United States of America. And how much of my Christian life and my confidence about the future is based upon every store I go into is jammed with more food than we can eat. And, and, and and I am trusting in uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the blessings and the efficiency of capitalism and all of these kind of things, and I don't really even realize how much weight I am putting on those things rather than trusting in you related to human history. And maybe this shaking is showing me a, a, a larger percentage of uh, my confidence concerning the future is built upon a nation, a wonderful nation, to be sure, and a nation with a godly heritage, but that he's going to force me to shake myself completely off of that until all of my confidence is placed upon God in terms of human history. So it isn't just the world and what's unfolding in the midst of it, but what is God teaching us as Christians while all of this is happening as well? And what is He teaching us individually and personally about our confidence concerning the future and what is the source of our peace in the middle of what is a very, very hard time for us as citizens of the United States of America? And so the message is one that we see continually in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The reminder that God wins, that nothing is out of control. There's nothing that He is not uh, watching. And I can say all of those things and still want to throw a shoe through my television set later on tonight. But I would have thrown two shoes, so I'm getting better as, as time goes on. And, and, uh, but to have that truth really, really anchor us. And to know that, He's going to keep all of His promises to us as Christians, no matter what the world becomes around us or the nation that we live in uh, comes, uh, becomes uh, around us. And then beyond that, in this uh, talking so much about the day of the Lord, 
uh, to realize that as Christians, for however hard the world becomes, we are not appointed under wrath. Uh, the Great Tribulation is a period of God's wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. But we are not a Christ-rejecting people, and we will not face that wrath that's described in Revelation chapter 6 through 19 and, uh, and that uh, portion in human history not one of us as Christians will uh, find ourselves in the middle of so much to be thankful for. If you sit here this evening and you're not yet a Christian, uh, God is the winning side. No one can ever uh, uh, defeat God. As Chuck Smith used to say, quoting someone, uh, that, the, that an old saying was that the, uh, the dice of the gods are loaded. They absolutely are. Uh, nobody can pick a fight with God and win. Not on an international level, not on a national level, and not on an individual level. And the, and the key is to surrender to Him. End the fight. Put my trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and get on the winning side in human history. And if you've never done that, there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front after the service. They'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship with God with God this evening. They would also love to pray with you for any need that you have in your life this evening. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for this uh, revelation of your will and of your purposes, of your holiness, of your righteousness, of, of your wisdom. And it certainly makes us so grateful for the book of Revelation that fills in so many different blanks for us. And we rest tonight in the fact that you are in charge of human history. And we pray, Lord, that you would take that great truth and continue to do it in our lives and, and, and cause that truth, that reality, to drop that vital 18 inches from our head and into our heart. We pray that as we process our nation, as we process the world, as we process our families and life all around us, that you would help us to process it in the light of all of that. We pray that you continue to uh, firmly plant our feet on what cannot be shaken uh, so that when all that can be shaken will ultimately be shaken we will not be moved. And Lord, I pray for that work of your Spirit in my life. We pray it for one another. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.